You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Harvest. I might look new to some of you guys. That's okay. Um, my name is Andy Hoffman. I'm the new student and young adult pastor here at Harvest. Um, it's been a journey getting here, for sure. Um, but uh, one thing I was already notified by some of the students is that, uh, obviously, my accent, I'm not Canadian. I'm from Virginia. So I sound like a cowboy, apparently. Um, and that's okay. That's all right. Um, I might lose that accent eventually. My wife says, you sound like a Canadian when certain things I say, but um, I don't know. But she, sort of here, she's from Calgary, so she, she thinks I always sound like a cowboy. So, um, But as we uh, dive into this new school year, as we dive into this new kind of year that we're kind of focusing on, I, I, was, uh, I, I met Daryl through um, my doctoral class, and uh, him and I are both at Southeastern Seminary taking some some. Uh, doctoral ministry courses, and um, that's where he met me back in January. So like I said, it's been kind of the, the journey from that point. Um, but but uh, I looked to him when we had this end of July class. I said, hey, Daryl, look, if you ever do need me to fill in and preach or whatever, I said, I just need a week just so I can start prepping. He goes, oh, well, you're preaching the first week of September, so you have four weeks. And so uh, here I am. Um, but one thing I started focusing on, like, what am I going to preach to a brand new church that has absolutely no idea who I am? And uh, I just get to this place where I'm like, yeah, they're going back into a new season, a new school year. I'm like, you know what, let, let us just, let us refocus around the common belief that we have, and that's Christ. Amen? And so today we're going to be in Galatians 2, chapter 15. So go ahead and open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to be able to, to make sure you can follow along with us. So if you don't have a Bible, I think we have some for you. So if you just raise your hand, and uh, they'll, they'll deliver a Bible to you. Um, and if you don't, we'll go ahead and, and roll with it. But um, one thing that, I, that I've been focusing on looking over this passage is uh, Andrea's uncle is a pastor in Penang, Malaysia. He, um, he is a missionary over there. And so several years ago, I had a chance with, with my dad and my father-in-law and my two brother-in-laws to go over from, uh, from such of the States to um, Penang, Malaysia. Well, on the way over there, <laughs> I'm not going to have time to go into this whole story, but on the way over there, we were stopping, went from, from New York to, to Dubai, Dubai to Singapore, Singapore to Malaysia. Right? And so, uh, but on the way over there, um, th- this whole story, for the, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into it, but it involved me flying by myself to a country I've never been to before, reading signs that had no English to them, a very fun taxi ride, and ending up in a hotel that I had absolutely no one to stay with. All right? So uh, needless to say, but eventually they got there um, the next day, and so we had a tour planned around uh, Abu Dhabi, which is uh, one of the part of United Arab Emirates, and uh, we were taking this tour, and so we, got, we took this tour to the White Mosque. It's, one, it's, I think, the third largest mosque in the world. And uh, we're sitting there, and I'm talking to our tour guide. His name is Sami, and he started telling us about, about essentially, the, 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 the faith of Islam and, and processing through this. And he's saying, yeah, he's like, you know, we, we pray this many times a day, and, and, and we, we do this, and we have to do, we can't eat this during this time of year, and we have to follow this, this guideline, and we have to do this, 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 this. And I'm looking at him, I'm like, and all the while he's talking, I'm seeing this, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. And I see absolutely no joy in his life whatsoever when he talks about his relationship with, at that point, Allah, right? And I'm seeing this, I'm going, 
Okay, so you, you have absolutely seemingly no joy in your life. When you talk about your God, now, now see, I'm start talking about my God, and I'm start saying, well, here's the deal, Samir. Let me talk to you about Jesus. He goes, oh, I know about Jesus. I'm like, no, no, you don't know about my Jesus. And, uh, and so we started talking about this, and then he was like, hmm, you have joy when you talk about your God. I was like, yes, I do. Why? And, and you know, it's one of those things to where when we start talking about the things we have to do rather than the things that we get to do, it becomes a completely different discussion. All right? And so I'm going to read this passage today um, because I want us to really focus in on what the Word of God says, not what I'm saying, but what the Word of God says and what Paul is writing here to the church of Galatia. So let's read this part together, starting at verse 15. Paul's writing, it says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? No, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. Here's the, the verse that we all know. We call this the coffee cup mug, right? uh, verse, right? It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ who lives in me in the life. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I love that passage. I'm going to dive into that text this morning. Let's pray first. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we are not bound by the law, but we are free. We have freedom, sweet freedom in Jesus. God, I pray that you, in these moments, God, would, would allow the Spirit to speak through me, God. It would not be my words being said, God, but it would be the text and being true to the text here, God, the words that Paul intended. God, I pray that you would open our minds, God, that you would give us eyes to see the beauty of Christ in these moments. You would give us ears to hear the truth that is going on, and I pray that we would not leave this place the same as what we came in because of the glory of Jesus. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let me give you some direct context to this. Um, Paul was sharing the gospel to the Gentiles, and, and Peter was there also, and he was also engaging the Gentiles. Now, when I say Gentile, uh, I mean us, <laughs> right? Non-Jewish people. So everyone outside of the Jewish bubble is a Gentile. So I'm assuming all of you and me, right? So, um, but Peter was there. He was engaging with the Gentiles. He was eating and drinking with the Gentiles, and, and uh uh, when the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem came down to the church in Galatia, Peter changed his entire behavior to fit what he thought he wanted others to see. So they came down, and he was going, well, I'm eating and drinking with, the, with these Gentiles, and, and now all of a sudden, like, my friends have come from Jerusalem, and they're kind of checking me out. And all of a sudden, I get kind of this weird feeling where I'm like, I have to change who I, who I know God has called me to be to who they expect me to be. Has anyone ever been to that point in their life, right? And so um, we see that, and Paul, seeing his hypocrisy, he goes straight after Peter calling him out. And that's kind of what brings us to this passage. And actually going back to verse 14 and 13, Paul's like, you're a hypocrite, Peter. Like, you, you claim to have this freedom in Jesus, but all of a sudden, what happens? Right when your, your Jewish friends come down from Jerusalem and, and they see you engaging, like, you completely like, disassociate yourself with actually the people that you're trying to reach. It's like, it doesn't make sense. And here's the, the saving grace in this. It reminds us that even at our best, we are still broken people, right? I'm pretty sure Peter was an apostle. Right? We would consider Peter on pretty high esteem. That apostle still struggled to live a life of Christ 
He still struggled with gaining the approval of others. He still struggled with the life that he was completely free in Christ. That gives me some hope. The fact that, that I know that, that Peter, who's an apostle, was completely broken, um, and, and he didn't have it all together, gives me hope that as a pastor, that I don't have it all together, and even as a husband and a man and a father, that I don't have it all together. It gives me some hope in that way, which is kind of odd, but it does. But here we go. So if we look at verse 15, it says this. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, us, right? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. This is simply stating that Paul and Peter were, were, were Jews by descent. They were God's chosen people. They were never or pagans or they were never, um, they were never Gentiles. They were never outside of the bubble of, of God's chosen people. And the question here is this. He says... Jews by birth, but not Gentile sinners. Well, aren't we, aren't we all sinners? Yes, right? But see, this is the, the critical point for the church is that there is not two gospels. There is not a Jewish gospel and a Gentile gospel. There's not a Canadian gospel and a North American gospel. There's not a European gospel and an Asian gospel. There's one gospel that unites us, one gospel that, that has the banner over us, Right? And so we're not stuck trying to figure out which gospel is which because there's, there's only one gospel. And in the end, even the Jews that had the advantage from the very beginning, the law was not the end all be all. Who was? Christ was. See, we look at this. There's 462 laws found in the book of Leviticus that the people of Israel, God's people, had to follow. That was the law. I mean, I, I can, I mean, look, we all break the speed of them half the time, right? So we can't follow any of our own laws, right? Even some of the most basic ones, we struggle to, to really follow. But we look at this, that this law, this, this Judaic law is pointing us only to Jesus. Matt Chandler, I love what he says. He goes, the law was not the end all be all. Actually, the law was a diagnostic to prove that we cannot reach salvation on our own. So the question is, if we actually believe this text, why in the world do we try to make our lives in all these rituals or rules, and, and we completely nullify what God has done, what, what Christ has done. Like, so we'll say, yes, I believe in, in faith and fi- faith in from Christ and Christ alone. But then pragmatically, or how we live that out is completely different. Am I hitting anyone's heartstrings here? Like you, you would admit for a point, yeah, I know that it's faith in Christ and Christ alone, but I feel like I have to do all of this that God would love me more. This law that, that Paul is talking about was, was pointing to Christ, and, and we must realize that the law was never intended to be the final standard. God, when, when, when the people messed up the law and they, they realized, God realized that they couldn't follow the law, they never said, oh, what now? God was never baffled on his throne going, ah, well, they can't follow the law. What do I do now? Do, do I? Do I send Jesus? No, it was never, never anything like that. It was, it was him saying, it was only to make us realize how much we actually need God. So, so someone could still keep the law, all 462 laws, guess what? And you would still fall short based on what the scriptures tell us. They could do it on their own power, but yet, even then, it would still, we'd still mess it up somehow and still miss God's standard for your life. But why, again, realistically, why, so why do we understand that but not follow that? Why do we, we say Christ and Christ alone, but yet we go somewhere else? I need you to understand this. There is no Jesus plus in your life. There is only Jesus. No Jesus plus. No Jesus plus my religion. No Jesus plus my life. Or, I mean, yeah, plus your life. But you know what I mean. But there's no Jesus plus the things that I can bring to the table. 
There's no Jesus plus my musical ability. There's no Jesus plus my Bible time. There's no Jesus plus my prayer. There's no Jesus plus whatever. It's only Jesus, only what he can do. The moment that we start adding things to Jesus, the work that Jesus has done, guess what? We start making it about ourselves and not about Jesus. We start missing the point. And so we're going to bring this in our time. So it doesn't matter if you grew up in church. It doesn't matter if you're an elder or a deacon. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you went to Discover Harvest or Harvest Essentials. It doesn't, you know, it, here's my Americanism. It doesn't matter if you smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls who do, right? And so it, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're faithful to your, to your job. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't matter in all of these things. It, it doesn't matter if you pay your bills on time or help the, help the senior adult lady across the street. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter because all standards, even if all standards, you were the perfect role model. Even if all standards, people would look at you and say, wow, you are awesome, right? Even if people would do that, in regards to our justification, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, in regards to our justification, Paul would say it doesn't matter. You could be the best person ever, but it does not change your standing in front of, Christ, uh, in front of God if you do not know salvation through Jesus. It doesn't change anything. To take a step further, right? there are good things for sure, but there's nothing in this life that makes God go, wow! If only everyone else could, could be like you, then I would be satisfied. I mean, really, sometimes we walk around being like, huh, didn't sin today. Yes, you did. You just did. <laughs> right? There's so many times where people, you know, there's nothing in that that make God say, wow, even in doing everything, look, even if we did everything right, there's still no spiritual advantage over the person who says they don't know and don't care about the word of God, his people, or even Christ. So we need to tear down this mental facade or this, even this exterior facade where we, where we have people look at us and go, wow, you're, you are God's chosen man. No, you're not. You know who God's chosen man was? His own son, Jesus. There's nothing that you could have done, nothing that I can do to bring that reality and change it. See, no one can save themselves. But I don't want you to miss this. Are we still a moral people? Absolutely. We are a moral people. But the reason is this. We are a moral people because of Christ, not in spite of Christ. We just don't do good things and go, Jesus is pleased. No, we do good things because we must. See, if we look at verse 16, look at verse 16 with me, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified, not, highlight that, underline, whatever you want to do, not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. See, God's people and us, and Paul had everything. Look, Paul was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. Like, he, he lists his own qualities in the scriptures. I'm like, that's pretty interesting, but hold another story for a different day, right? He's like, I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm well beyond my years. I'm zealous for the faith. And even Paul, even that one person who enlist his credentials before God, even Paul recognized the fault of the law. So if, if there's no Jesus plus only Jesus, this implies two different things. Follow me to the middle part of verse 16. It says this, so... We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. So this implies to me two different things. The first thing is this. We are saved by faith and not by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Your faith is through what? Christ. Not by works. So what? No one can boast. That's clear as day in the scriptures. But yet we somehow miss this. 
And when we say, well, God loves me. Yes, he does, but God loves me because I do this. No, he doesn't. God loves you because he wants you. God loves you. He said his son, and he's just saying, put everything into my son. Your faith, your belief, your confessions, everything. Put that into Jesus and not yourself, and then you'll begin to understand what I'm actually trying to do. So that's the first thing this implies, that we are saved by faith and not by works. Here's the second thing, because we can also go to the opposite end of this. The work that we do, because the Christian life involves some sort of work, right? Not for your salvation. Understand, I'm going to be very clear of this. Your work is not of salvation, right? Your work that you do is, for an, is an overflow of your salvation, and it evidences our faith. Church, do not miss this. I do not want you leaving here missing this point. And in fact, if you remember the only thing from this sermon, remember this. We are saved by faith and faith alone, and that our work that we do does not change our standard in front of Christ, right? But it enhances our spiritual walk with him, and it enhances our relationship with him. This is where I stop and put a plug. Um, student leaders, how are you guys doing? All right. See, these are one of those things to where I say, if we're following Jesus and we have, we have salvation, the overflow is to do work. It is to join our GO teams. It is to serve in our Harvest kids. It is to serve with our Harvest students. It is to serve somehow. Do you have to serve in those ways? No, you can find other ways to serve. But Christian, if you're sitting on your bottom not doing anything for the gospel of Christ, then you are missing the secondary component of your faith. Yes, we are saved by Christ and Christ alone, but yes, we, because we love Jesus, we move out of sitting to working. See, similar to what Jesus says, actually, in, in Matthew 15, where he says, what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. I'll take that a step further. What's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth, but also out in everything that you do. Look, I, my wife's the first one to test this. She can tell, well, let me put this. I'm glad I have, God has put a wife in my life who is sanctifying me, right? Um, but she is the first one to say, have you been, like, in the Word lately? Why? <laughs> I mean, I just, and she says it so gently, it's just, I can just tell. I can tell by how you're responding to me. I can tell by how you're responding to the kids. Like, have you been walking with Jesus lately? I'm like, mm. right? First of all, no one likes being pointed out that, that, like, you're completely messed up, right? I don't think anyone does. It never makes anyone feel good. But at the same time is, is when, they, when, when people start hitting the idols or the, the misfires of our lives, it's difficult, and so if, if Matthew 15 says what's in our heart comes out of our mouth and ultimately out of our actions, what are we doing with that? Can people actually look at your life and say, mm, you're, you're different or you're not different because of the cause of Christ? Right? And that's where that, where that comes from. That's where that comes out of, right? If, if we really are, are loving Jesus, pursuing Jesus, having a relationship with Jesus, we will want to serve him, his people, and his mission. And, but these things cannot save you. I think that's important. I'm going to drive that point home because I do not want you to miss this. See, these things enhance our life in Christ. It goes back to this, guys. I, I don't do good things for my family because I feel obligated to do good things for my family. I do good things for my family because I want, the, I want to bring them joy. I think you're the same. Like, you're not doing your life out of obligation to taking care of your kids and wanting to love your children. Right? Students, it goes down to, like, how do you love your friends? How do you care for the one and others of, of the people that are around you, your peer groups? Like, do you do things out of some sort of like, oh, because I know I'm going to get something back? Are you doing it because like, you're just like out of the overflow of your love for them? You're just like, you know what? 
I want to take, take care of you. Like, there, there's a difference between like, yeah, I love you. I'm here, right? I'm here. I'm here. Okay, Billy, show me what you did. Right? Compared to, no, I'm here because I care and I want, show me, show me, show me what you did. Show me what you've done. It's kind of like Christmas morning, right? How many of you guys like Christmas? I like Christmas, right? But see, my, my aspect of Christmas is, has vastly changed because I used to have a very selfish view of Christmas because I'm like, I get presents, right? Everyone, anyone else with me? Come on, yeah? I get presents. But now it's kind of changed because now I go shopping for my kids and, and, and we start working. And now it's like I get to give them the gifts. And then when they wake up in this, like, pseudo-sugared fury from the night before, right? And they run downstairs, and then they start ripping through all these presents and the joy because what? Daddy has given them a good gift. Mommy has given them a good gift. And somehow Santa has given them a good gift. But see, we're not, I'm not going, you know how much that costs, kid? No, no. I'm saying, yes, yes, enjoy what I've given you. That is how God, the perfect father, looks at us going, yes, enjoy. Enjoy what I've given you. Enjoy what I've done for you. There's a difference between the being here and the overflow of our heart for wanting to serve and care for them. That's important. I don't think think we want to miss that. So look at me, the rest of verse 16. He says this. So we're going to start halfway in the middle. It says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one can be justified. Here's a phrase I want you guys to write down if you can write it down. There is no amount of anything that will make God look more favorably upon you or love you more. Nothing. Nothing. I want you guys to hear that. Is that the truth that's resonating with your heart today? There's no amount of anything that would make Jesus look more favorably upon you or love you more. No amount of Bible reading, no amount of prayer, no amount of doing good things. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are important in the Christian life. Hear me on that. Those things are very important. How do we communicate with God? We pray to him. We hear from him. We read his scriptures. We hear from him. We know him. Those things are important, but they're not the end all be all by themselves. Jesus is. And so it kind of goes back to this. And and I, I used to teach this back home, and I'll teach it to our students here. How do you have faith in someone who you don't even know? If you're following Jesus, how do you have faith in him if you don't know who he is? If you don't know what his promises are, if you don't know why he is the perfect father, if you don't know why he is good, how in the world can you even know who he is? How can you follow him? How can you have faith in that? We miss that. We we say we have faith in this God whom we don't spend any time getting to know. That's not a work of the law. That's a work of our love for our God. And so I don't want us to to miss that. And you, you you could burn every record you have, right? And God wouldn't, he'd just go, hmm, whatever. I guess it's kind of lost in some of our students. Um, If you delete your iTunes library or delete Spotify, all right? Um, 
look, if you, if you did everything right, it's not going to change. If you did everything wrong because you're in a season where you just feel like you can't stand up because every time you stand up, the enemy or something smacks you in the face and puts you right back on the ground. When things are going right and when things are going miserably wrong, God still loves you all the same. It's important to remember that because by works of the law, no one is justified. Verse 17 says this, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. This is a very confusing passage. I'm going I'm to break this down for us. See, Paul is not declaring himself to be sin-free, right? So in context, the sinners are Gentiles only, us, right? Because they were outside the boundaries of the law. Well, the gospel say that Christ came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it, right? So if the law is fulfilled in Jesus, that means that all of us, Jew and Gentile, we are all sinners. We are all found broken. So even if we found ourselves outside the law doing what the Gentiles do, which what we are, it's what Paul's saying, right? Would Jesus still be a servant of sin? Would, would God be leading you into sin? Was he doing promo work for the devil, right? No, by, by no means. So if we, what Paul's really saying here is this. We have the law. We're not bound by the law. But if Jesus has come just to be another law or to be the guardian of the law or just to give us another set of rules, he becomes a servant of sin and the enemy. We, we, we bring that full circle here. It's a bit of a theological truth there. It's kind of thick to really think through. But... Essentially, it's this. If we change out one dictator for another, we're no better off than we were before. We've watched that happen time and time and time again. I don't know how much you guys get American news up here, but we've seen it happen from when I've been this tall till, till now where we topple a dictator only to leave a vacuum for another dictator to come in. And guess what? All the money that we spent, gone. Why? Because they traded one dictator for the next, and nothing's ever really changed. And that's really what Paul's saying. He's like, look, if we traded the law for Jesus just for Jesus to be another set of rules, like, he's a servant of sin, and that's not who, who Jesus is. And he goes on to say this, for if, verse 18, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor or a sinner. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live in God. Let's hear that again. For if I rebuild what I tore down, what did Paul tear down? He tore down the law. Paul came from the law, he tore down the law, that we would look towards Jesus. And if, like I said, if Paul solely switches from one set of rules to another, he'd become someone incapable of repair, right? So his, what he does, his justification would still be on his own. But here's the thing, John 10 says this, Jesus is talking to his disciples, he goes, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? It says, I have come that you would have life and have life what? Abundantly. Abundantly. So if Jesus is one of those people who comes and say, mm, forget the law, but I have a new set of rules for you to follow. I have new things that you have to do for me to love you. Guess what? We missed the entire point because it is just someone who is just adding more rules and more laws, whatever else, right? And so we actually look at this. So we adding rules to, to godly living doesn't actually produce freedom. It produces bondage. Well, and if that's the case, well, we, we see in Paul in Galatians 5, he says this. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore... And do not submit again yourselves to the yoke of slavery. So we know that we were enslaved by the law. We know that we are now free in Christ. And we can't switch those two things back and forth. It's either one or the other. But I want you guys to hear this. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might 
live to God. I'm, I'm firm in believing this, that one way the enemy keeps you from growing in your relationship with God is by making you think and tricking you into thinking who you are in Christ isn't enough. That you need to have some sort of performance standard for him to really engage with you. And why wouldn't that be one of the easiest ways to trick God's people into neglecting his freedom and finding ourselves bound to rules and laws? Our standard, our, our, our cultural standard is found in works-based merit. Students come home with a B on a paper and they think their world is over. For some reason, you got passed over for a promotion at your job and you just think, why am I doing this? Some of you moms, if I don't make the, you know, this is speaking for my family because Andrew's a stay-at-home mom, but, you know, that she could have those moments where she's like, man, I, if I don't have the house clean, the, the, the hot meal on the table, the kids chill, calm down by the time I get home, like I've somehow failed. No. And so we, we have everything as a works-based merit in our culture. So why in the world wouldn't the enemy attack that and say, you know what, you didn't do enough? You know what, you're, you remember that verse? Is it you've fallen short of the glory of God? Mm, yes, you have. <laughs> you have fallen short. And that's all we hear. Right? We, we, we forget the rest of the promises. You know, sometimes we, we get in this moment where, like, if we're praying for something really fervently, just really hard, and we want God to respond in just such a, such a great way, and guess what? You pray, 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 pray. Silence. Right? I'm sharing a lot of family stories today. I don't know why. Sorry. <laughs> but um, when, when Andrea and I first started dating, right, Certain dated certain May through whatever, she went to Liberty University, and it was a long-distance thing. Well, we tried to make that work, which, and then she came back home. Long story, but she ended up coming back home from Liberty, and I was like, yes, God answered my prayer. And two weeks later, Andrew's like, yeah, we need to break up. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> That's not how this is supposed to work. Like, God, you don't understand. Like, you brought her back to Virginia. or Well, at that point, where did I live? Florida, right? You brought her back to Florida, like away from Virginia, too, back to me to, to bless me. Yeah. And then within her, God's saying, this isn't right. But I'm like, God, no, you don't understand. Like, I did everything right. I was praying hard. I was reading the word. I was in a college Bible study for crying out loud. Like, you don't understand what I went through. And you brought her back to take her away? I don't think you understand. I mean, we laugh, and that's okay to laugh. It's funny. But at the same time, it's sad because, like, that's what we do. And then we start thinking, well, if I only would have prayed for five more minutes, if I only would have read one more passage before I went to bed, if I only wouldn't have watched that movie, or if I only would have skipped that episode of The Office, like, I just don't know, right? Maybe God would have been like, you're on the brink, do one more thing. Ah, nope. I mean, we laugh, but like, that's, that's how we view our relationship with God, like, and that's how we view the law and us, right? It's like, well, I don't want to mess this up, so I'm going to start doing like law things. I'm going to become very legalistic. I'm going to be saying I can't do this, 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 and become rigid in our faith and become bound. And the enemy's going, ha, you're missing it, and that's good. And Jesus is going, I'm over here. I'm, I'm your freedom. I'm your love. Come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are what, weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so often we, we want to put the 
the ox hook back on and start dragging the wagon. And we miss that. I don't want you guys to, to, to miss that. Sometimes the end of the story is, is, is us humbling ourselves before God, realizing that it's only Christ who can satisfy us. And when we begin to realize that only Christ can satisfy, he begins to reopen our eyes. He begins to readjust our focus. Now, 10 months later, obviously, Andrew and I got back together, and then we got engaged, and we got married, right? But guess what? That doesn't always happen. And if it doesn't always happen the way that you want it to happen or think it should happen, it doesn't mean that God's not listening. It means that it's a no, because he has something better and greater for you down the path. And so we, we, we have to run through that. In verse 15 through 17, Paul mentions the word justified four times. Four times in two or three verses. Now, that's important because he's, he's actually driving a point, right? So if we misunderstand justification, church, hear this. If we misunderstand justification, it affects theologically everything we believe about God. If we don't believe that Jesus is enough, if we don't believe that Jesus took everything upon himself, the wrath of God on his shoulders, on the cross, to pay the penalty for you or me, right? If we don't believe that, if we don't believe that at that moment when we confess Christ, we are justified in Christ, the gavel falls, declared innocent because of what Christ has done. If we miss that, then guess what? We miss the entire picture of Jesus. We have a skewed picture of Jesus. When we miss that, we have a skewed picture. So this word justify is, is the same Greek root. It's just, justify, righteous, righteousness, right? Let's define this word because I've used it quite a few times, and I want you to hear this. So um, this justification, uh, this is the kind of the standard definition. It says this, the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to break this down for you because my favorite part of this sentence and, and definition is a gracious act of God by which God. The gracious act of God by which he himself completes the action. It's initiated by God and it's completed by God. Don't miss that. It's not initiated by us, not us going, you know what, I think I need Jesus today. No, it's initiated by him, and it's completed by him. And so let, let's break through this. Tony Morita, who's a, a preaching professor and, and a pastor in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, he, he broke it down in, in these four ways. So this, this actual definition has four different points. It says this, what is it? It is a gracious act of, of God. It is the unmerited favor of God that he has started this process for you. So it is the unmerited favor. It is the gracious act of God. Second thing, it is a declaration. The only thing I think of with my Americanism is the declaration of independence, right? I'm sorry. I'm sure you Canadians have one somewhere. I'll figure it out eventually, okay? But here, here's the thing. The, the declaration, if I offended you, I'm totally sorry, by the way. <laughs> the declaration is not just like a, a pithy saying. It's not like, oh, yeah, by the way, you're, you're going to be free. No, 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 like, like, again, thinking of my Americanism, the Declaration of Independence, it was signed by founding fathers, it was signed by, by statesmen, and it was not just like, kind of like, timidly handed off to, to the king of England, it was like, boom, here, we're free, we don't want you anymore, right? So that is the declaration we need to think of. It is God looking at the world, the broken creation, looking at the enemy saying, guess what? It is my gracious act, 
and I'm declaring this to be so. It is delivered, stamped, signed, sealed, everything, and it's putting it on me, not on my people. Here's the third thing. It involves the righteous for the sinner. It involves the righteous for the sinner. It involves you and me in contrasting to God. You guys track with this, right? I don't think anyone in this room, and we, we always have, when I ask this question, I always have a few people like, I totally would, but you wouldn't, right? How many of you guys would actually give your life for your enemies? Nobody. No one in their sane mind is going to give their life for their enemies. But that's exactly what Jesus did. It says, the scriptures say, for while we were enemies of God, what? Christ died for us. While we were in active, open rebellion against God, while we were still slapping him, spitting him, and crucifying him to that cross, he said this, you are saved because it is finished. That's what he was doing for us. Here's the fourth thing. It is only through faith in Christ. That's what the word justified means. The gracious act of God by which, a sinner declare, or by which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's been driving at for the past three verses. That's what all, all I've been saying for the past three verses. But I want to point this out. Church, if, if we do not understand justification, we miss it. But honestly, our sense of justification, and like we don't understand these because things like unconditional love, because we, we can't think in these terms, and we, we can think in these terms, but realistically, our sinful human emotions don't allow us to think in these terms, right? So often our love is based on a mutual give and take, right? We, we love people because of what they can do for us, right? It's based on what I can get and what can be done for me, when we upset others, right, it's always this like make it up by doing extra things, kind things, right, doing extra chores. Some of you guys, if you're like me, you get like start going through the honeydew list that you just completely neglected for seven months. You're like, see, honey, look, aren't you proud I've started doing things? And she's like, no, because those are basic things. Pick up your sock is a basic thing, right? <laughs> Sorry. And so... We, we really do this. And look, and when people harm us and when people upset us or offend us, what, do, do we go, it's okay, brother, you're forgiven? Is, is that our natural posture? No. It's, what are you going to do for me? Right? You going to do my laundry for two months? I think that's a good punishment. Right? And so we start thinking through, like, that's how we are. But see, like, we have this, like, prove to me that you love me, which this, this causes a whole problem with me because we, we, we look at that, like, prove to me that you love me as kind of like an aside. So often what? We look at the world, and we are stupidly gullible. You have a time machine? With Doritos. Like, I mean, like, that's, we, okay, and, and then what do we do? We go, okay, let's go over here to the time machine with Doritos, right? That's what we end up doing, right? But anytime we see the promises of God, what do we do? Ah, prove it. God's saying, come to me, come to me, come to me. I will give you rest. We say, prove it, God. And I'm like, time machine, yes, I'm there. Like, there's some sort of disconnect in our minds. Why? Because we are still fighting a war against flesh and blood. We are still fighting a war against ourselves. We still fight a spiritual battle when the enemy still tries to take you down. Over the past six months, I've counted seven of either my friend networks or Southern Baptist friend networks or large, famous church preachers, seven in the past six months have fallen on moral grounds. The enemy no longer is looking at you going like, if I take out their people, they'll be sad. No, the enemy is going to, if I kill their leader, they won't know what to do. It's kind of like one of those things in the Civil War where they're always like, what do you do? You aim for the general. 
Who's the guy on the horse? Shoot him, because then everyone else is going. But we, we have this like, prove it, God. Prove that you love me. Prove that your scripture is real. But then we'll so flippantly chase after the stuff that doesn't matter. See, it's not the way that God loves, and that's not the way that God loves his children. God is a perfect father. We are children of God. We've been adopted into, our, in, into his family. He doesn't demand penance. But here's this. He does demand obedience. That is his right. He says, if you're in my family, guess what? You are free in my family. But at the same time, I'm going to protect you by the life that you will now live in me. And that is so, so, so important. See, God justifies his people by their confession and belief in Christ. Romans 10, it says this, with the heart one believes and is justified and the mouth confesses and is saved. That is the glory of our God, church. This glory of our King Jesus. And I'll wrap up quickly with this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So then, church, how do we live? If we know it's freedom in Jesus, but, but it's, not, it's, not the laws of the, it's not the things that we do, how then do we, do we live? How do we live lives that reflect Jesus? How do I really live free? For the past six years, seven years, I was able to take students down to, to Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, we have a great, strong partnership down there with a Church Planning Argentina. And I was preaching this passage, just kind of like in a devotional setting with, with our translators and some of our nationals and then our students. And, and I, I just, I, you know, like, I started asking, like, how do you live a Christian life? Carlos is his name. Wonderful God. He stopped me. Not in like a rude way, but kind of like a, hey, can I say something? Sure. And I wrote this in my Bible because it was actually one of the most profound things about this passage I've ever heard. And it says, it says, in a crucifixion, someone dies. Wow. <laughs> Like, I never thought about that that way, right? But in a crucifixion, someone dies. We become dead, so when sin comes, we cannot give into it because we're already dead. We, we now allow Christ to live our lives. We give him all the control. We do not rely on what I can do because it's nothing but only what Jesus can do. See, Paul died to the law when he was converted on the road to Damascus. And he was able to do that because because of Christ. And he died to the law because Christ died on the cross. And and when Christ died on the cross, his people died to any sort of legalism or rules or anything else that was binding them in slavery, getting the mindset of like, if you only do a little bit more, then I'll be happy. He died to all of that. This is not just Paul's story. It's our own story, church. I know that's some graphic imagery of someone dying on a, on a sinner's cross. And, and I, I assure you, the Roman Empire at this point was still pretty kicking and active, and I'm pretty sure that they got that graphic imagery of Paul saying, you know what? I have been crucified with Christ. I have had nails driven through my wrists and my feet. I have died of asphyxiation and broken bones, spear wounds, and everything else. I have died to that so that I would follow Christ. It's actually, it's actually Paul who says what? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. And either way, I'm good because if I'm dead, I'm with Jesus. But if I'm here, I'm still going to make people understand the glory of King Jesus. See, church, we do not live under the law. We live under grace. Knowing that even when we sin, even when we do stupid things, even then when we fall short, guess what? 
God doesn't kick us to the curb, but he embraces us all the more. And what we do is we run to him with careless abandon saying, pick me up, carry me, Father, that I cannot do this on my own. Jesus paid it all for our sin. Past, present, and future. Paid for it all. Paid for it all. We live in this now. I'm going to invite the, the worship team to, to start making their way up here. But Romans 5, or sorry, Romans 6, if you want to flip there with me, you can real quick. But Romans 6, 5 through 11 says something beautiful that Paul really echoes here in this passage. I got to Acts. Hang on one second. There it is. Romans 6, 5 through 11 says this, For if, if we have been united in him, for if we, if we have been united in him, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If we've died with him like this, we should be resurrected with him, which means this life is not the end, but we will have hope in seeing Christ again to be with him for all eternity, which is what the, the Christian heart should strive for. It says, we know that our old self is crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, we, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Man, Paul. Yes. Church, that's where we end. This isn't an easy teaching. It goes against everything who we are as humans. It goes against everything we understand to be merit-based when nothing is because our lives are based around meters of success. But we must remember that Christ is the standard. We have to throw all those things away that we think somehow make us better in his sight and in the sight of one another, realizing that we are all broken before the glory of King Jesus. Even when we fail, we know our salvation is not made or found in anything but only what we do in Christ. So we're going to sing, Christ is enough for me. And this is the moment where I want you to dive in and dig in to understanding, is Christ enough for you? Take these moments to, to repent and cast aside these works things that you think somehow you're doing, knowing that they don't save you, but they only enhance your relationship with Jesus. Not out of guilt or obligation. We do things because we, as an overflow of our salvation, because we love Christ, not because that we, we think it's going to do anything better for us on, on the back end. We are in Christ, in Christ alone. He's enough for me and for all of us. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Church, that's where we sit, in that beautiful tension of relying on Christ. For it is freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore, no longer bind yourselves to the yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. God, we rejoice in you. God, I pray that you would reveal to us that you are enough for us. 
For those in this room that are struggling with, with trying to appease God and please God by doing things, God, we need to remember that they are worth nothing compared to the glory of King Jesus. That everything we do is not, is not because we think we're going to make it better, God, but because we are relying on you and it's the overflow of our salvation that makes us want to serve you more. God, I pray that that would change how we view you. God, let, us, let that renew us for the season to come. We give you all honor, glory, power, dominion, and authority over our lives. We love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.